A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. learnings from delivering and then measuring value of data mesh work. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Radha Rishani, Managing Director, Data Analytics and Technology Innovation at Bank of America. To be clear though, Radha was only representing her own views on this episode, not that of the company. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Radha's point of view. Number one, first quote unquote, what I know today is going to change tomorrow. So data mesh is a journey. Don't try to get too comfortable. We should always be trying and iterating, be an explorer. And then Scott note here, strong agree on this. And so does Jamak. If you are afraid of changing your mind, then one, what are you doing with data? And two, data mesh isn't for you. You have to be able to think about what am I going to change? Number two, Speed is always a challenge with data mesh. Some want to move too fast, but others want to boil the ocean to make everything that comes after, you know, extremely fast because they think that they can solve all of the challenges and know all the challenges that will come. Work with people to take them along the journey and be part of the decisioning process. Don't get ahead of yourself. Let them see why you're making these decisions, but like make them understand why they can't go super, super fast. Number three, take your stakeholders lockstep along your journey with you. Like keep them very informed. Let them control the prioritization. That way they can see what changes are happening and why delivering times are extending. They made those calls around the prioritization, right? Number four, expose the evolution of the data product to stakeholders. 
they can then understand trade-offs, especially in regulatory or other governance challenges. Again, they own the prioritization so they can see like how this has evolved and why things are changing the way they are. Number five, don't start with generic requirements. Start with stakeholder deliverables. The requirements will emerge from that conversation. Stakeholders don't necessarily know what is required technically or as a product structure, but for sure they know what they want to achieve from a business perspective. Number six, in data mesh, data producers should be treated as a stakeholder as well. Make sure they are engaged and that they are getting something from the process. That can be credit or visibility for value creation, true ownership instead of just demands and requirements, additional insights about their own domains, lots of information about why what they're doing matters and why it's creating value, et cetera. Make sure that they get something from the process. Number seven, when driving buy-in and or getting approval, you have to know your audience. That might seem obvious, but it's really not. What do they care about? Have you actually talked to them about what they care about? How can you win them over? How can you make it make sense to them and excite them? Number eight, when trying to get approval for a big project, break it down into tangible pieces. If there are 20 you know, aspects of this process that could be improved around this you know, high-value process, look at them discreetly and deliver more and more of the 20 over time. You get a budget to fix one or maybe a few, and then you prove out value and get a budget for more and more. Number nine, if something is a priority for your team, but it isn't a priority for another team that you need to partner with, lean into that friction. Why is it a priority for your team and not their team? Should that be pushed up the chain to align better? You can't make it a priority by pressing them. You need to work the right levers. Number 10, potentially controversial. One lever you can pull to drive data producer buy-in is the opportunity cost of not acting. There is a reason for a use case, something that will improve a process or drive value in some way. If you ask the reluctant data producer to own the risk, the cost of not acting to improve that process or not you know, acting on this use case, most will say, you know, no way, I don't, I don't want to own that, and they will participate. Number 11, Measuring the value of data work is very hard and pretty imprecise. It must be a collaborative process with stakeholders. They are the ones who derive the direct value from the work. How much value is there in speeding up time to deliver data products by 40%? Your, your data, your, your platform team can't know. They have to, you have to work together to find, like, is this actually going to be valuable instead of, you know, I, I talked to somebody and they said, hey, uh, you know, their team came to them and says, come and move everything to this new data platform. They said, why? And they go, because it has Spark. And they're like, but it doesn't have the capabilities I need, (laughs) right? Like we need to get out of that mode. Number 12, it's crucial to build an environment where data failures fall on multiple stakeholders and that a data product or other data work not meeting the expected value isn't necessarily a bad failure. Your hypothesis maybe simply didn't prove true. Limit the costs and size of those failures. But if you aren't failing, you probably aren't taking on enough risk. You know, if you're not failing in general ever, you're not taking on enough risk. Number 13, potentially controversial. For high-profile, high-visibility projects and, you know, data product builds, check-ins, 
two to three times a week is normal and is often helpful. You can identify and attempt to mitigate challenges and risks as they emerge. Is somebody pulling back? You start to see that early instead of, you know, the whole thing with data projects where, you know, somebody's been working on them for 10, 12 weeks and they go to deliver it. And then like a week before people go, well, this isn't going to be a value. You know, they, they pull away. You can start to sense that if you're actually aligned and working together. Number 14, another potentially controversial one, create a highly visible accountability model for stakeholders and make sure they are aware of it, right? It's not about calling people out but holding them accountable. And if they aren't doing what's necessary, the executive sponsor should know and can address it. If their priorities have changed as well, then, you know, maybe this project does get shelved or it gets, it gets pushed down in priority, but like you need to create that so that everybody can just be like, okay, what's causing these issues? Number 15, Virtualization at the query leader has uh, allowed Rada and team to mature the underlying data products over time while still presenting a mature and complete data product experience to users at the start. Without virtualization, data consumers would not be nearly as happy with their data mesh implementation. Number 16, a data virtualization layer has made interoperability easier as well. Connections between data products still need to be found you know, by people, but then they can be codified and offered as, as you know, a new view or a new kind of aspect of, of those two data products working together, whether that's entirely a new data product or whatever, but it makes it much easier to do that. Number 17, discovering and establishing domain boundaries is crucial in data mesh. Sometimes, you know, kind of orphaned data that isn't really owned by a domain might live in a domain temporarily, but you should always be looking to find and create a true owner if people are relying on that data. You know, you don't want, you know, this team that has just this data that they don't really understand or know about simply because it needed an owner. That's not a long-term good solution. Number 18, your domain boundaries will change, and that's okay. Be ready, be vigilant for measuring if it's time for boundaries to change. There isn't a silver bullet way to approach this, but with ex experience, necessary boundary changes will start to become more obvious. When you start out, you're not going to be that great at this, and it's okay. Number 19, it's okay to have more than one data product per domain, but make sure they are truly incremental to each other. The boundaries and the governance are more important than the number of products in a domain. Oh, no, we've got three in this domain and we, we want to have two max. Are they differentiated? Are they incremental? Great. Or, you know, oh, we've got 10 in this domain. We probably shouldn't have 10. Let's collapse it down into five. But the boundaries are the things that matter. Number 20, and finally, every data product should have a specific purpose, not serve only a single use case. We need data reusability, but don't add too much scope to a data product. Yes, easier said than done. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Kahada Rishani here, who's the Managing Director of Data and Analytics and Technology Innovation at Bank of America. To be clear, though, she is only representing her own views, not that of the company or anything like that. But uh, we're going to be covering a lot of different stuff. And I'm, I'm really excited about this because we're going to be talking about within Data Mesh, how do you actually balance speed, structure, and control, right? Especially when you think about um, a bank and and being very, very regulated and needing to, to maintain that control, but that we need to move forward so that we're not, you know, uh, having these ever lengthening cycles, which has been kind of one of the reasons for data mesh coming up of all these bottlenecks. Um, and then we'll talk about like getting your necessary support to move forward, but not, you know, kind of overwhelming the, the funding aspect. And how do you appropriately work with the business to keep them engaged? Um, you know, virtualization and how that's that's kind of been crucial for a lot of folks in, in doing data mesh. Balancing, creating to use cases, but also that kind of data product suite, you know, the phase one of data mesh versus phase two. And how do you get to evolution in data? You know, people are really used to this big bang approach. So how do you like culturally change a lot of that stuff? So as I said, a whole lot of really interesting topics. But before we we get to that, uh, Gada, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sounds great. Thank you, Scott, for having me tonight uh, or today. <laughs> um, I'm uh, happy to be here to talk about Data Mesh. Uh, as an introduction, I am uh, employed by Bank of America, um, and I've been in the data space for about 15 to 20 years. Um, I'm happy to share my experience, uh, what worked, what didn't work, how did we evolve from traditional database management systems to now a more sophisticated concept of data mesh and data products. Uh, so I look forward to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and uh, you know, I, I love these journey stories, especially, you know, kind of a, a thing of like, it's not all about, okay, uh, we're going to sell the, the big, pretty picture, right? It's like this stuff is is not easy. So um, when we think about that that initial point that we were going to look at of, of balancing the speed structure and control, you know, often there's a lot of focus on one. So I think there's a lot of people that want to move as quickly as possible when we get into data mesh or data in general. People want to get to the insights, they want to get it into production, and they don't think as much about the the control and the maintainability and things like that. So what, like, how, how would you recommend people start to look at that? Or how would you recommend people keep that in mind and, and kind of make it so that you can still move quickly, but <laughs> that it's not, uh, that you're not getting so far ahead of yourself and kind of tripping yourself up? That's right. So, I mean, it's a journey. It's a cultural change. It's you need, you need to think about any change, any implementation you put in place, data mesh or like data in general. It involves people and processes and technology. And naturally, those three are slow to change, right? So when we start talking about data mesh and data products, um, speed is going to be a problem because essentially people try to I usually use boil the ocean uh, they want to finish the product as if um, it's it can be done with a click of a button um, so it is important to work on the people to understand that journey and make them part of the journey so that they can push you forward I see I see that as a key and that's a source of success in so many projects I work on 
if you don't have the your stakeholders coming with you in lockstep to deliver a product or a project, you're going to always be defending why you're late. Why are you not done? Why is the product not complete? So that's a, that's about speed, right? So bring them with you. Let them prioritize. Let them define what you are working on as a, as a data mesh implementer or any product in general. Um, now, that talks about speed. Now, when we talk about control and structure, especially in the financial industry, um, we are always under the microscope, right? We Regulators are always kind of auditing, asking questions, um, understanding how we operate. Control is a key piece. Um, so that's why um, when your stakeholders are kind of coming with you, they understand both sides of the story, right? They understand the what's required from the regulator and they are seeing how the product or the project is evolving. So um, controlling that technically, controlling the product technically, uh, becomes a byproduct of the partnership with your stakeholders. Um, how we do it is how we expose and how we evolve um, the the product itself. Um, so, I mean, if you want to give you give you an example, if I'm working on a project that involves customers, this is a common common theme nowadays. I want to understand the customer behavior. Um, this is sensitive data, so I cannot just bring everything and put it in front. So the first thing I will have to do and part of, part of the control is when I expose the data, I expose it depersonalized, right? Meaning I should not bring customer information. I should not bring uh, social security numbers. I should not be bringing birth dates. So so that's key in, in the product. And that can be defined at the very beginning, agreed with the stakeholders, implemented, and they kind of will come along with you. Well, uh, so one question I would have in there is, I really liked what you said, by the way, of letting the uh, stakeholders prioritize as you're moving along with this, because then again, you aren't like, why isn't this done? And it's like, well, because you you know that you changed the prioritization. And so you know that you changed this or you added this or this new wrinkle happened from what we were in the market that we were looking at or, or anything like that. So I really like that, that point that you made there, but like when you are thinking about requirements gathering, like I kind of hate the idea of requirements gathering because people kind of requirement stuff, right. Mm -hmm. Versus what are you trying to achieve? How do you work with them to really get them to move away from the, I want it in real time and I want it this way and I want this versus like, what are you trying to achieve? And, and are you finding that you can get them to work backwards from that? Or, or how do you get that conversation to actually get to delivering something that they want instead of something they think they want? I would say in that, for, instead of asking them to give you requirements just as a general um, question, Tell them what's the deliverable. What are you delivering? What are you trying to achieve? What's your final product going to look like? And work backwards from that. Because then they're focused on a meaningful product for them that brings business value. Instead of kind of giving them a blank piece of paper and telling them, give me requirements, they're going to get stuck in the um, details. Of course, performance is important. That's kind of any any product. If it's not uh, scaling up to your operations, then it's gonna die on its own. Um, but but the product has to make have value for the business. It has to add value. 
whether it's economic value, whether it's uh, stakeholder value, like we're giving the, the stakeholders something, whether it's market value, like I can sell something or I can um, uh, extend the use of my data for uh, a business, a different use case. So there are different ways you can present the value. Um, and the product you're building has to fit into that criteria. Otherwise, again, it will become uh, the, the developer as well as the business will become so stuck into the details that they cannot see the big picture anymore. Yeah, and I think that that value conversation is one that's really, really uh, annoying in data simply because it's like, if this, like, what is your value hypothesis? If this all goes well then it will have X amount of value. But if we do all of this correctly, if we do all of it well or, well or whatever, we do all this data work well, and your hypothesis was wrong, did the work still have value or was it a waste? And it's like, no, we learned something, we figured something out, we didn't go down this path that would have been bad if we had made the wrong decision, but it's it's still that that value conversation. And so I think that, aspect and, and other aspects of like getting approval. How do you think about that, that kind of process, especially when you need, you know, with data mesh, you're going and you're saying, Hey, producers, we need you to be involved in this. Like we need to rearrange your, your KPIs or your OKRs or like how, how do you think about getting that approval process from all the different stakeholders? Like let's, let's start with um, getting the the producers bought in and that they need to be part of this. And then we can go through like the financing and the, the those aspects. But let's start with kind of the producers of getting them on board. Getting them on board. So um, again, the, from my perspective, the producers are a stakeholder as well, right? What do they want? If they want their uh, product to survive and to be useful to the company's bottom line, they have to participate. They have to come with you. Um, giving recognition, giving ownership to those people um, will will bring them along. Meaning, um, so if, if I'm developing a product that requires producers from kind of upstream of me, then I, if I bring them to the table with me designing that solution and kind of in front of everybody, you're accountable for this piece. And this is what you're doing for the company. This is what value you're bringing. This is the risk you're mitigating. Um, they feel that ownership and then they want to drive with you again, instead of just keeping them on the side and as if they are a service provider, um, if they have that, they will give it to you. If not, then wait in line kind of thing. Um, and again, I stress on it's very important to say why. Why are we doing this? What's in it for, for them? What's in it for the other stakeholders? What's in it for the company? Why are we doing it? Because the why kind of kind of create that enthusiasm of people to push behind you. Like for example, if I'm dealing with a regulator request, no one has to say no. Can, no one can say no, right? This is important. This is for the company, for the bank. Um, if it's a risk for the company, if it is a wasted opportunity, like I'm not able to, to, to serve my customers, my customers outside, external customers, all of those are good hooks to kind of use to bring people along. Um, creating that accountability, have them give you that push behind you to, to push the project forward and let them, let them present, let them present, let them own it, you know, let them be the speaker on, on your behalf. It's okay as a leader. Uh, but but 
bringing everybody together and having a purpose for each of the producers or the any of the stakeholders would create so much momentum in the project. When you think about, again, kind of going back to that value and the, and the who gets credit for the value generated, this is something that's been on my mind and I haven't had a, a really good conversation around this, but like, is it the producers or is it the consumers? Because the consumers have the use case, but the producers have the value that flows into it. Or do you kind of double count the value or like, how do you think about, because it, when you say like, what's in it for them? Yes, you can show them that this is generating value, but if they don't get credit for that value, you know, yes, you want everybody to be all kumbaya. You want everybody to be holding hands and everybody's uh, working with each other for the sake of each other. But like, have you found a good way or is that kind of, it has it not been as much of a challenge as, as one might expect when you really do bring them in on exactly why are we doing this? Why is this so important? What value is this going to create? I did it today, actually. <laughs> like people like to feel that they're doing something useful, right? It is not just for uh, I check the box, I finished this data request, or I finished this change. They want to feel useful to the company. The way I've done it, and I really did it today, it's like even with people that are usually resistant to take ownership, when you tell them like why they're doing it in, in a way that they will understand it, they will come along. They would they want to own it and they and the way kind of the reward, the reward side of it is let them come present to your man like the management when the product is ready or as we're progressing, we bring them like we bring our stakeholders and our producers in front of Everybody were, produ- were presenting the product journey uh, too, uh, the roadmap, the planning, the accomplishments, the risks. So they would speak to uh, their own uh, pieces. Uh, I'm, I do not present them. I, do, I, I avoid speaking on their behalf. Actually, I'm very happy when we are in a meeting like this and in a stakeholder meeting, and actually the people are doing the talking, not me, because... It's, it's their thing. I mean, it's their accomplishment. They deserve to get it and they'll feel energized to, to produce because this is, this is something that's uh, giving benefit to the entire company or the team or whatever they're working on. Yeah, I, th- I think that credit and that like visibility and, and what does this drive from a visibility standpoint? And I think that's another thing that I'm, I'm starting to see companies aren't really realizing that they're pulling this lever, but you know, they're, they're giving the producers this opportunity to show them and that the people who they want to present to are also willing to hear about it instead of, oh yeah, yeah, you did a good job. Okay. Pat on the back instead of like, let's talk about this. Let's get excited. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's actually have this increase my visibility as a producer that I'm generating additional value for the, for the organization. And at the end of the day, I mean, if I may add, the, the data producer is the subject matter expert. We call them the business data owner, right? Um, they own the data. They know it in and out. They are the subject matter experts. They are, when they come to you to, to be part of the team that's delivering another product based on a different product, like the data mesh concept, they are coming to you as experts. So you have to benefit as a company, you have to benefit from their expertise and build on it by making sense for that use case that you're working on, right? Uh, making sense of that data, help them helping you make sense of the data so that you can use it, it's fit for use, you can use it, it's of quality. 
they're attesting to that. Um, so that's that's the nice thing of this dynamic. It's not like silos sitting kind of um, by themselves, actually put that data mesh on top and the products are talking to each other and they're actually delivering a combined value rather than in silos. There's a lot of people that are having some issues with getting approval around certain aspects. Is there anything that you really think that you you figured out how to get around some of the challenges around approval or is there any like kind of here here's uh, Gata's uh, secret sauce that she could give you for getting approval for these different aspects? I mean, it, it's not, there is no cookie cutter approach, honestly. Every project has its own, um, every initiative has its own flavor, right? And it depends on who is listening. Um, you need to know your audience. What brings them along? Is it is it uh, recognition? Is it uh, money saving? Is it operational saving? What brings them along? Uh, once you once you understand and and one thing I would say: never, never, never try to do everything at once because it's not reasonable. I mean, every company, every department, every team has multitude of things they need to work on and understanding their year priorities uh, meaningfully um, is important for um, so don't think of it from one side like what I want to do it's what the company or the bank or the organization wants to accomplish at the end of the day how does that accomplishment fit into the strategic goal goals of the company um, once you once you frame your your pitch in that, in that context, people have to act, have to react, right? Make it, make it uh, digestible, make it small enough that they can act on it. If you ask for $50 million, no one is going to jump, right? I have a hundred things to do. I'm not going to fund $50 million, but chunk that 50 over two, three years program, show them a roadmap, show them what you want to accomplish, deliver on the highest important things first, It'll become more manageable. I'm not saying it's easy and it can happen. It might require several conversations, several presentations, several like um, um, kind of presenting the ideas from different angles until you get to an agreement that you have the support. It's always very critical and very important at the beginning to get that support and to deliver on what you're saying you want to deliver so that that support can sustain the entire project, if you will. Yeah. One thing that I've started to say a little bit more is, is people in general, yes, you know, people want to be friendly in, in general, but people don't care what you want them to do. They care what they want to do. So you have to work with them to align to that, right? If, if what you're, you're bringing to them and saying, we want you to participate in this is very high priority for you, but you're not making it high priority for them you know, you trying to to harass them until they do it, it's not mutually beneficial to them. So if it is super high priority to you and it's not to them, then there's a priority misalignment up the stack at some point and you have to press that up to say, like, why why is why can't we make this a priority for you? Not like, you know, this is a priority for me. Why won't you do this? It's like, how do we make this a priority for you? Or we need to have that conversation and actually you know what, it, it's not going to be a priority for you because you have these other things. Mm-hmm. So we want to help to make sure that you can accomplish those so that you can get to this sooner. So if we could be helpful, you know, ping us and we'll, we'll try and be helpful and you build that relationship. But I, I feel like way too often I'm hearing in data mesh of people just going to domains and going, give us your data, 
give us your data. And it just it doesn't work. Does not work. And, and we stopped doing that. And this is kind of where we wanted business data owners to own the products, the data domains, right? And they speak to the data, the validity, the fitness of use, the data quality. It's their job. Uh, at the end, at the receiving end, as a data mesh owner, like I'm trying to put everything together because I'm managing the risk around a group of products or whatever. Like this is kind of, you have to bring things together. This is where um, you would start if you need something else. Either you bring them in to talk about their product and to attest to their fitness of use, um, or you ask them questions, you ask them for enhancements. Yes, you have to sit in line. But one trick that worked for me that would make people move, I mean, I'm, I work in a risking organization now, so that concept, it resonates with me so much. Basically, whenever you're working on something, you're solving a business problem, right? Not solving that business problem or not enhancing a certain thing has, has kind of the counter side. It has its risks. It has a, an opportunity to lose um, something, right? So it has a negative uh, side. So basically, when I go to my data producers and I'm proposing an enhancement or something they need to do or explain to me, if, if there is resistance, what I've used a few times and it worked is basically, so you're accepting this risk on behalf of everybody else for the company, right? Right? <laughs> no one wants to accept that risk, right? <laughs> so. No one wants to accept the risk on behalf of a bank or a, or a company or a team or even I an mean, organization. So again, there are always levers and you have to understand your audience. You have to understand what moved them. It doesn't happen overnight and there is no cookie cutter approach. I repeat, it's just you have to test few techniques um, until you um, get the project moving. And it's not like it's actually doing kind of you're bringing value to the organization you're working on one objective it's the whole organization not one team not two teams not that team and my team it's the whole bank or the whole organization that you're trying to serve you know you talked a little bit in there about um you know that kind of 50 million dollar project which you know for some companies that's <laughs> more than their it budget for a year or anything like that but you know uh for for a large bank or anything it's not it's 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 nothing to sneeze at but it's also not uh you know earth shattering amount but yeah. Uh, yeah but you talked about getting that support over by chunking it up and saying here's where we're going to deliver on this where we're going to deliver that that um value. We're not going to have this be a three-year thing before you see any value. We're going to be delivering value along the way. So it's going to have this cost, but our expectations are around this return. So you want to make the investment because we're going to have there and we're going to iterate towards that value. But like, how how do you think about getting that like how quick of a return are you finding that people are comfortable with on an initial use case or is it all over the map? Or like, how do you get it so that People can see, because I'm thinking about this even from data mesh implementations. People are asking me to say, how do you measure the ROI of a data mesh implementation? And I'm like, you don't, because you have to chunk it up into manageable pieces. Otherwise, you know, your journey is a three, five year journey. Like, how do you measure your, your how do you predict your value over that time? You don't, because it's just, it's it's not something that's feasible. So like, I would love to hear, it sounds like you're, you've really figured out a lot of these kind of little levers to be pulling. So how, how would you, if somebody asked you that question, how would you kind of talk with them? About it? 
So again, we, you can present your value in, there are different ways to measure value, but you can present it in two different ways. I call it, I mean, it's literature, literature available all over, like how do you measure data value? There are two aspects of this. There is either the economic value, how much the data is making a, da- a data step in your process better or um, enhance it. And, and value can be time, money, um, uh, speed, right? So so, econ- so when you talk about economic value, the way you measure it is you find all the activities that require um, some form of an investment that create value, actually, that create value for you. And then you see which portions, if you get enha- if they get enhanced, will return something of meaning, of self value, like whether it's time, money, or speed, or people, or I don't know. Um, and then um, so you understand the the whole economic value. You understand the activities that need econ- that needs uh, that uh, require uh, that create value. Then you go and add uh, to it uh, kind of the proportion between if I fix this, if I made this piece speed, uh, more uh, speedy or more of quality, how do I uh, relate it to the kind of overall um, value? Does that make sense? So, uh, so you start by uh, the, the holistic value. You take how much of the activity you're enhancing is proportional to that huge economic value. And then you start start iterating through it and uh, fixing one small piece at a time and measuring measuring that enhancement what what did it bring whether it's speed money or people or whatever it is um, so at the end of the day it becomes a proportion of either saves or making money um, uh, that you would uh, be presenting um, so how can I make it even more consumable um, Let's say we're talking about, I don't know, a report that has to be produced for the regulator. Today, it takes me um, two days to produce because I have to source the data. I have to transform it. I have to, um, I don't know, um, and who knows what's happening in between and then produce that report. So if I want to dissect this piece, if I can generate the report in one day, that, that, by itself is creating value to the to the um, report owner. Um, so how do I translate that saving that I don't know from three days to one day or to one hour? How do I? It's, it's people. How many people touch the, the data process? How much time they spent on it? Um, and how did I reduce it by produ- by by using my data mesh or my data product? Um, so this is how you start relating it to real value, tangible to uh, the use of people, the use of a data mesh or a data product in general. So if, if I can sum back some of what you were saying, and, and I, I want to ask you uh, a question that's kind of come up, especially from an episode with uh, Pink Shu at Vista, where she was talking about their value impact uh, measurement framework. But what you were saying is is really start to when you think about what is the holistic value of X, what Mm -hmm. could be the holistic value of Y? Like, are you the one, like, or of X, if we were to do uh, these, you know, 50 different improvements and you start to say, okay, if I make this improvement, 
who is measuring that value? Is it that you're you're going to the the owner and saying, I need you to tell me how valuable this would be because I can't know as the data team, I can't be the one that's that's assessing value. You know, with with Vista, we were talking about if you have a five percent increase in revenue, how much is that worth? Well, I don't know because is it a 5% increase at similar margins? Is it at way worse margins, right? Where it's going to actually collapse my overall corporate margins? Is it that all of a sudden this is, you know, this is a 1% increase, but it's at, you know, a, a significant increase in my my margin rate or that I'm, or yes, we're going to make this move and it's actually going to result in significantly more revenue at significantly worse margin but we're making an investment in market share because then we think that we're going to be able to squeeze that margin up more and more over time. So like, how are you having that conversation? Who is setting that value? And, and like, is it just a kind of collaborative process? It's a collaborative process because I don't know, I mean, as a data person, like, or the whether it's the data mesh or the data products themselves, you cannot tell all of this, right? So again, your stakeholder has to tell you their perspective. Um, if, if they're asking for an enhancement, what is it that they're thinking? How are they going to use it? Um, if, they're, um, uh, if, if a data producer is going to tell you, if I'm going to do this enhancement, it's going to um, also imp- uh, benefit other stakeholders and other objectives, that's something you can add into the benefit, right? So it doesn't have to be one-to-one relationship. One stakeholder asks for something, and then that value is kind of, um, it, 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 it's kind of uh, benefiting one party. It has to go, uh, it has to be collaborative. It has to be fr- looked at from different angles. This is why you have different models to manage, uh, to, to measure value, and not just one answer. Uh, it's not a trivial. It's not a trivial exercise. Uh, the way again we've done it is mostly by linking every project to what is it that we can do better or different, um, and then we measure that in terms again of time, people, uh, <laughs> simplification of the project. Uh, um, the end result from a revenue perspective, I have not done like how much revenue is that bringing that that new thing is bringing. It is it's a hard sell because like you're looking into the future, you're forecasting the future, and it's not supportable. You can have a sense that it's going to enhance, maybe bring more customers, but how much that is, it's hard to tell. You you might have a hunch, your stakeholders might have a hunch, but it's hard to. Um, uh, calculated with accuracy. <laughs> well, and that was going to be my question of of you're saying how much value would this have if we were able to accomplish this, and then you go and you do the data work and it doesn't have the impact that you expected. Is that seen as a failure or like how how have you seen that where it's like hey um, you know we we thought that with this platform change that we would um, you know it's a 40% reduction in time to creating a new data product. And we think that that's going to drive X amount of value. And what we found is that while it can reduce that, a lot of that time wasn't actually spent on the platform aspect. It was the information gathering and the conversation. So you're, you're, you're able to create a data product sooner, but it doesn't really have that value or that producing data products that much quicker doesn't mean that we're able to act that much quicker because it still takes 
a lot of time or, or that time to market wasn't as valuable as we thought or any of those things. Like when those things happen, they we're not perfect. And the process of measuring value is not perfect. It's yeah. an estimate, right? So like with any forecast, there is the forecast and there is actually what happened. Uh, usually, usually when those things happen, the nice thing, again, about how I described we, you run the project, it's not one person's fault. And it's it, it was, I mean, a lot of thought goes into those conversations. Bringing the right people to the table um, is key, right? So it's not an arbitrary number because I'm trying to build something or market a product. I'm trying to make up those numbers. It's a well thought process. Every person should chip in. Every stakeholder should chip in and come up with and be comfortable with what you're advertising as a result of your product, right? So don't stand alone. Bring your experts with you. Bring support with you. And if it doesn't work, I mean, at least you will have progressed in the right direction a little bit. Um, Maybe it needs another iteration, you have built credibility, though. You've delivered something that's better. It's not as expected, but directionally correct, right? So then you iterate and you iterate. Then you prioritize. Maybe maybe that didn't get us something. What do we need to tweak? That's your next iteration in your product journey. Well, and, and you're making a bet. It's a hypothesis. And so you're testing that hypothesis. And if the hypothesis is wrong, then, again, we talked about it a little earlier of, of if it was wrong, but you found that out way sooner or you didn't commit nearly as much as you would have to that, then you can just say, we were thinking that this would be something. It wasn't. And, you know, uh, Pink talked about the idea of entering a new market and that you you go and you invest a bunch of time and effort into de- to deciding if you want to go into the new market. And the answer is no. Is that a value? And it's like, well, yeah, because we didn't make a terrible decision, right? Yeah, I mean, even then, the the downside is brings value. Like, it's a learning experience. There is nothing perfect. Like the data mesh concept is is new to people. Sometimes new to organizations. It requires investment in different areas, whether in the data domains or the technology or the culturally changing people's mind. Um, so this is why it's a journey. It's never a hundred percent sell and it should never be presented. Like you should not mislead your audience that I'm building the best product and it's going to be a Ferrari, you know, <laughs> not a marketing Ferrari, but, <laughs> but <laughs> so we, um, build expectations based on what you know as facts, uh, build promises that you feel as a team are accomplished, that can, can be accomplished. And iterate through it, have checkpoints, check yourself. Is, is Am I moving in the right direction? Build a prototype maybe. Is my prototype going to uh, perform for on a small data set? And then I can kind of scale up. So there are different ways. Again, it depends on pro- the project. It depends on the, um, the audience, the type of organization. There are always ways to gradually... Either either retreat or or actually uh, stop or continue because there is there are promising indications that the project is gonna um, deliver what it promised. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking a little bit of um, you know how like SRE culture works and blameless culture and things like that, where you go, hey, we thought this thing would do this, it didn't. Great. Like we made, we made a bet, it didn't pay off, but that's what bets are for, right? It's if, if everything was a sure thing, then we're 
never really going to be innovating. We're never really going to be finding those big pockets of value because we're just playing it too safe. So, um, so I wanted to talk about as well, um, throughout all that process, how do you keep the stakeholders engaged, right? I think a lot of it's it, that you mentioned was a lot of communication and things, but like, do you have any specific tips as to, especially like the business folks, right? Like a lot of times, whether it's the consumers or especially the producers, it's like you have a couple of meetings with them and then you're not their number one priority, even if you they're your number one priority, right? And so like data isn't their number one priority for most of these people. So how how have you found good ways of kind of staying engaged and, and keeping them uh, as part of that conversation? It is critical and it is uh, an essential ingredient of any change, any any big project, data or otherwise, bringing the stakeholders along, making sure they're always con- uh, engaged is key. How do you do it? Giving them a role, uh, bringing them all the time to to um, like again in, in projects with high visibility, high uh, intensity, if you will, with tight timelines. Uh, we have checkpoints during the week two to three times, uh, where the stakeholders, all stakeholders, have to come in and report on status, raise risks, uh, tell us how they're going to green based on the risks. So we create that that um, risk-oriented um, culture where if, if you are involved in the project as a stakeholder, you have to come in and you have a deliverable, you have to report on it, you have to raise your, the risks. And if, if you're not engaged, tell us why. Uh, why don't you feel that you need to be part of it? Because at the end of the day, when we built that charter for that project, you signed your name that you're part of it and you're going to have to, to, to come and, and kind of step up to all the responsibilities that come with, with that role uh, in the project. Yeah, that's, I think that's really helpful because I think a lot of what you're saying there, again, is uh, one thing that, that has been, to me, extremely lacking in data work, the more that I, you know, I kind of come from outside of this space. Mm-hmm. And so coming in from more of the software development side, even though it was more on the database side, um, the lack of communication between all stakeholders is just bizarre to me where you go, you know, the, a producer and consumer have never spoken to each other. And it's like, but they're the ones who speak the same language and and you're trying to have it be, you know, translated into the data team. And then the data team goes and tries to translate it back into business. And it's just like, what what is going on? But like that constant collaborative nature and it's not i need you to do this it's like we need to to achieve this so like Mm -hmm. this is your aspect that needs to get delivered but like we are achieving this together and you know that kind of um sre type culture again of like we're going to help each other out we're going to try and get there together that this isn't like none of the the credit goes to any one specific person but none of the blame does too like that we want to make sure that we're we're working together is really important. And again, I mean, there are always levers to make people move, right? So for example, if uh, if a project is, it's okay to let it fail for a little bit as a project owner, if you're pushing something kind of forward and one of your stakeholders did not deliver on one of the things, let it show it, let it escalate to kind of the executive sponsor. Um, I mean, no one feels comfortable being late. No one feels comfortable being asked why you're not doing your job, right? If you create that accountability model that 
you have to continue to progress. Um, you are an owner. You are part of this. You cannot be on the sidelines. You are the, a subject matter expert. I, I'm a data person. I'm building the technology. I'm ba- making data accessible. But it's your job to tell me what to expose for that use case. For, we ha- you have to make sure that what I'm exposing is is uh, signed off by you as a fit for use for that use case. Uh, and it's for the company's benefit, right? It's not because I want to. It's you, you're representing the, that uh, product for the, on behalf of the company. Yeah, exactly. And, and that actually provides a, a really good transition into kind of talking about um, when you actually are exposing data to people. You were talking in, in our pre-call about how important virtualization has been to your use case. So a lot of people are trying to figure out how do I build, <laughs> how, how do I build for this, right? So like, let's talk about kind of what you've learned from the platform side and, and specifically to virtualization, but any aspects, like what what were some um, some things that you didn't necessarily ex- expect or what are some things where if somebody came to you and said, how do I build my data platform? <laughs> like, what what would be the pointers or, or what would be the the things that you found that have been really, really crucial that that whether you expected them or not? Right. So as we started talking at the beginning, right, we talked about speed of delivery. You need to gain that credibility, right? Um, and it has to be in a controlled way. The only way we're able to do it in a meaningful way is actually, I mean, the data product by itself to become mature enough, it's going to take time, right? It's not an overnight answer, but you know that you have subject matter experts on it that are working on making the product mature and it has a roadmap. It might take a year, it might take two, I don't know. So when, when I'm talking about a project that I need to deliver really quickly and with some control, right? Because I don't want to expose a a data lake kind of open, right? It has to be somehow organized. You have to put that structure, that virtual layer that simulates what the end product would look like when the data product is mature. So that's how we use it. I have my data products, several products kind of in the underlying environment. Uh, The maturity of each is at different levels. Uh, some of them are pretty mature, controlled, tied to the ledger. Everything is perfect. Some of them are really Excel sheets and being imported. Some of them, <laughs> so, some of them are in uh, Teradata. Some of them are I don't know in uh, uh, SAS. Some of them, you know, you name it, we have it. So, <laughs> um, so now, how do you how do you move quickly? If I'm gonna wait for each of those products to be in a very structured way and ready to use, I'll never, I'll never start. I'll never finish and I'll never start, you know. No one is going to buy into the credibility. So we put that virtual layer in between and we worked with the data owners. Data owners said, this is how I'm going to work. This is the roadmap for my product. This is how it's going to be presented. Build it in a virtual layer. It's not real, but the data is there somehow in one shape or the other. Build it in this way. Um, so that's what the virtual layer looks like. By the time as a product is evolving, we start turning the switches off from the virtualization layer and activating the product, exposing the real product now. With time, it's less on the virtual layer, more on the product side. But the nice thing also, like if a new business, um, new business need comes up, again, if I'm going to wait for the underlying product to, to, to evolve, 
to look the way I want to use it, it's going to take time and money and resources. And so it's going to be slower than what the business, how the business is moving. So we use virtualization again, any controlled manner with the subject matter expert, business owner, business uh, data owner or the data product owner signature that this is the right thing to do. We would expose those incremental views and they will sit on the product roadmap and the underlying product more roadmap as future enhancements. It took them, let it, let it take two years. So what? I've presented to my users what they need. It's certified that the subject matter expert signed off on it. We're using it. Um, and when the data product is ready, it's for totally virtual for the user. They don't, they don't feel the impact of the switching off the data virtualization. So it worked for us really, really nicely. Um, we've built in, in a matter of a year, we've built over 150 reports um, on the virtual layer. The product was, the underlying products were not nearly as mature to support 150 reports going to regulatory reports, basically. So it was very, um, very useful for us. It helps us balance that speed, control, structure. So it pulled it all together and it enabled us to deliver in a really nice way. Uh, the users have, have, we have testimonials saying that this was the best implementation um, uh, given the speed and the quality of what was presented. Yeah, and AB and AMRO, uh, when they talked a little bit about their implementation, they kind of even talked about there are some things where there are physical and there are some things where there are virtual data products. Because if this data is going to be queried as combined very, very, re you know, very often, then you want to actually combine that together because it's it's cheaper and faster and, you know, all these different reasons to actually combine those into a data product. But a lot of times it's just a virtual kind of, you know, virtualization layer sitting on top because this thing isn't queried that often or the performance doesn't need to be that that important and so and the, or there's lots of filters in the queries or something like that so you know the way that it gets queried it's just better for a lot of different reasons and exactly what you talked about of that maturity and, and learning how to actually own and, and run that data product and make it something that's that's just you know very easily reusable by so many different things versus like hey we're going to create this thing that is kind of bespoke for your specific use case that's sitting on top of the data product, but that we're not building the data product. So it's only bespoke to your use case. We're making it so that multiple people can stick things on top of. I think that's that's a really important. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of what virtually, I mean, if you think about a few years back, we didn't have that technology that would perform at the right level with yeah, I mean, we uh, we were able to use it billions and billions of records kind of in the underlying data. Uh, performance was very, very promising. Uh, we had we had some snags because we were pulling, I don't know, twenty years of history and through the virtual layer at once. That didn't jive much. But again, we had to break it up into smaller pieces or focus on the use case in that case. What are you bringing through the virtual layer? Do I really need to bring the 20 years at once or can I uh, focus on snapshots that, that make sense? Um, 
it help again it helped us uh, move faster uh, deliver quality and control without compromising um, uh, on on what the business wants how fast it's moving um, um, again our users loved it they gave us so many testimonials I think it was one of the we delivered this this piece last year and we got so many recognitions on um, We've never had something like this in the environment that we're working on. Um, we always had silos. We always had uh, from SQL databases to access <laughs> to access databases to Excel, bringing it all together and putting on top uh, a reporting tool. Uh, same thing. Um, it helped us um, deliver value to the to the business. How, how has it impacted interoperability between multiple data products? You know, is it that that this does make it that it's easier to be able to pull from multiple different things, or or like because that's one but a big question for a lot of people of data mesh. Okay, we're creating these data products, but they just feel like high quality data silos in the data product. If you're not really focused on that interoperability layer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the nice thing about, again, having the virtualization layer in between is that you have to solve the uh, interoperability once, right? So you have to find that relationship once. You work with your your data owners. You you tell, you, they kind of work it together on how they're going to link the different products together. And then um, you, you build it you, in the virtual layer. You build it once, right? You link the products together. And then you present it to your user. So as a data expert, this is where my team fits. We figure out those relationships, build the views that virtual views once and expose them. Um, this is a learning experience. It's good because it, whether it's a granularity or uh, if you need to kind of roll up certain products because they're more granular than another product, if you do it once in the virtual layer and expose it, this is all what it takes. It makes it actually easier um, that the data products, um, even th they might be different uh, and not linkable easily, you can solve it in that uh, virtual layer. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to get into, like, I, I think there's another hour-long conversation mm -hmm. around uh, data discovery and, like, how you do that. But but one thing you said in there, I wanted to make sure, I did I catch it right, that the kind of more central data team are the ones that are finding the interoperability points or is it that the users are or is it? The data product owners would work with each other. My team owns that virtual layer, the okay. exposing. So, so the data mesh concept is presented in a virtual layer to the downstream users, but the stakeholders or the, the owners of the products figure out how to talk to each other. We build it once in that virtual layer. Okay, that's 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 very helpful because I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to do that. Um, so, one one thing that we we had talked about in the pre call and we've talked about it a little bit, but like, kind of how when you're in phase one of of data mesh, you're thinking about specifically creating data products only to use case, and even in in phase two when you're kind of going wider. You want to create, you know, you don't want to create a data product that doesn't have any users, but you want to, you start to learn how to create it so that it has initially five potential users, 10 potential users, or, or that you, you say, okay, I'm going to serve this use case, but my roadmap, my maturity model is going to have the support for a bunch of different use cases and I'm building it in a reusable way. So how do you think about when you're talking to a domain about 
what they've already built and kind of the art of the possible or, or that data on the inside, data on the outside concept, right? Like what data is just supposed to be for your domain to operate on? That's the data on the inside. And the data on the outside is everything else, everything that should be exposed, but may not be exposed. And you've got data on the threshold of, should this be data on the outside or not? And like, how do you think about talking to those domains about what should they expose or, or how should they, they find out what should they expose instead of just making a guess, right? Like how do they go out there and actually find potential users or are, are people just waiting for people to come to them and that's working fine? As a data product owner, they have to have that continuity in mind. It's not a one and done. I don't build a product to serve one use case and done, right? So the way, again, I've, I've seen people do it very successfully and people kind of um, the static traditional way of thinking, my product is working, why do I need to do anything except if people ask, right? Um, so if I have a product on the shelf right now in the market, right, if it's, uh, if I, if I, if it's working and I don't keep enhancing it with time, it's going to die, right? If it's not going to uh, serve new needs, it's going to die. So how do I get those two ne- those new needs so that I can continue to evolve my product? I can get it from market research. I can go to my internal customers and be proactive about getting, okay, what, What's going to make sense? What's the next iteration? What do you want me to work on? How do I need to evolve my product? So you get intelligence from your user community, and then you build your next step in your roadmap. What to include in the domain, and meaning the domain boundaries, it has to be mostly, we, we had cases where the data domain evolved from one thing to the other, meaning I started having a certain type of data in that domain. And then with time, there was no other domain. So that domain started bringing other things that are not supposed, that they don't fit the definition of the product, right? So it's starting to kind of look kind of an orphaned set of elements that does not make sense um, to be to be there. Um, so we started a process called um, a domain proposal, like meaning you go and ask for a different type of data and then that data domain will be started from scratch. In the interim, as a domain owner, I might choose to do certain things if they're meaningful to the business and kind of but but box them, right? You know that this piece is not going to stay for a long term in your product. You have to give it off to another data domain or a data product. So um, it has to be a very careful consideration of what to put in your product and what not, uh, because you don't want to end up with things you you're not a subject matter expert on, or you're copying other products' data into your domain, it becomes, and then the the other data domain is changing and you cannot keep up with that change. So it has to be very um, tactical, very um, well-defined, special cases where you would do that uh, with a a plan to transition it out. Uh, As a subject matter expert on the product, you should be able to define the boundaries very well. Uh, and work with other stakeholders to to understand does this fit, piece fit here or should be transitioned to a new data domain or another product that already exists. Are you doing one data product per domain or are you doing multiple data products per domain? Because I'm thinking about like you know Roche, um, what, they have a hundred thousand people, right? A uh, hundred thousand employees, and they have twenty one what they call domains. But then mm-hmm. I had. Um, 
JGP from PayPal on, and they were talking about domains as a two pizza team domain, right? Of, of three to five people is a domain. So each one of those domains only has one data product. So like when you're thinking about that, I guess I'm trying to figure out, a lot of people are asking, how do I discover what data product should I create or things like that? And, and like, how do I work backwards from a use case and, and all of that? So I don't have even a defined question in there, but I would love to just kind of get your thoughts around how does that work? Because, you know, do you have a domain that has 50 different data products in it? Or are you really tightly defining domains and just going, eh, like we're finding these boundaries and it's more that we find a big white space and we go, okay, I have to stick a a data domain in there versus, eh, there's a little bit of white space here and we can just extend this domain's boundary just a little bit. It it we have both cases actually we have data domains that are purely def- kind of the boundary is one product it's well defined we know everything related to that topic is in one place right um and there are cases where the product is so complex you cannot um you cannot make it a whole big package because it doesn't make sense. There are different things that you're describing, basically. And it does not make sense to have one huge product to cover all of them. Um, so the data domain would include several products that are offered within the same domain, owned by the same business data owner, but they're different flavors, different structure, different evolution, different features. So it is okay as long as the boundaries are defined, at least from my perspective, if the boundaries are uh, defined and um, the ownership is defined, uh, the structure is whatever makes sense um, in terms of delivery. If the product gets, if the data domain gets too big and now we decide we want to evolve a portion of it at a different pace for different uses, it's okay to chop it out and start a new domain and continue the evolution of the rest of the products under that same domain. So it doesn't matter as long as it's serving the process. And, and we have both examples uh, in the environment that I work in, and it's it, it works, um, again, as long as the boundaries are well-defined and the governance is well-defined. When you're trying to figure out that boundaries around it, like I've, I've kind of talked about this, like... Um, uh, Carlos Sauna at eDreams Odigio was talking about their data products are are pretty small, right? They have pretty small data products, which could mean at a company your size, you've got, you know, 10,000 data products or something like that. I think JP Morgan Chase said that literally they have 600 domains and 1,500 plus data products. Um, Jamak talked about her first uh, big client with Data Mesh had 2,000 plus data products, which then creates all sorts of data discovery, fun and challenges and things like that. Yeah, that's a different topic. (laughs) Yeah. But if someone were to ask you, how do I discover, like literally this was a topic that just came up in the, in the data mesh learning Slack today. How do I discover the boundary? Is it like you, you will learn how to figure that out as you build more of these data products or is it like, Uh, you know, it should be about a topic. And if you start to get into way too many topics, you can start to feel that there's more than one topic in there, or there's more than, you know, one and a half topics in there. Like, how would, if you, somebody asked that, how would you kind of respond? I think though, again, from my experience, the way we've defined products is what, what, what's, what am I trying to do, right? What am I trying to do? What is the purpose of this product? It cannot be uh, 
uh, free for all. It cannot be I'm serving all different use cases in the company. It has to be for a purpose. What am I trying to do? So, for example, a, a simple purpose could be I'm trying to make sure that all my financial statements around a certain product are coming from the, from one place. Just as an example. So it's a mission statement driven by your mission statement. What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, on that, I mean, from that point, you always have product planning sessions, right? So if I start with this and later on I want to change my mission, it's perfectly fine. If it makes sense to evolve that mission, it's perfectly fine. But start with something specific, something measurable, something um, you could vouch about and talk about features of this product. Like as if you have a kind of a product on a shelf, right? You have to describe it. You have to describe its features. You have to define what bugs it has. You have to define what, what are your next iterations looking like. So it has to be well-defined. So for a specific purpose, if I want all my financial reporting to come from the same place, if I get uh, a piece of data about, I don't know, um, customer history, who well, I don't care about putting it in the same domain. It doesn't make sense, right? So you start saying this fits, this does not fit, and that's how you define those boundaries. If you are to expand those boundaries or shrink them, it's mostly an iteration after iteration to refine your mission statement, if you will, from that product. I, I like that a lot. I think that's uh, helpful for a lot of folks. So, um, I mean, we've covered a whole heck of a lot. Like I said, I, I could probably talk to you for another three hours. Um, I do want <laughs> to let, let you not uh, stick around that that uh, long. And, and uh, But is there anything we didn't cover that you'd really like to or any kind of way you want to wrap up the episode, any point that you'd kind of want to make sure people are, are thinking of uh, as, as kind of a, a point that you want to make to them in, in wrapping up? Um, I think we covered a lot and more. <laughs> um, it was a very, it's a, it was a fun uh, conversation. So thank you for the opportunity again. Um, I mean, the thought I would leave people with is a um, data mesh is a journey. It's not a one and done. Uh, it's not a cookie cutter approach. Um, what I know today is going to change tomorrow, <laughs> right? It because based on experience. So don't be afraid to experiment and champion your ideas and your technology because this is how we progress. We progress a little bit, we step back, we try again, we progress more. So, uh, so keep faith that it would work. Um, uh, and always think out of the box. Don't, don't stay limited. Work towards, help people work towards a single um, uh, goal. Um, and, and always advert, like what would help advertise the value that you're bringing in. It's, uh, marketing is important. Like any product, it cannot be built and sit on, <laughs> sat on the shelf and it'll kind of uh, pick up life on its own. Make sure you market it. Make sure you, you market the accomplishments. Make sure you bring people together. Um, that would lead to success and, and, and evolution of the environment you're working in. Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, Jamak would love that answer, especially. I think I'm, I'm writing a, a thing uh, about uh, explorers wanted, e experts not, and then in parentheses yet, because nobody's an expert on how to do this. We need people who are going to push those boundaries. It's not the science yet, but it's, it's, it's a fun space to be in, um, a lot of opportunity. Yes, for sure. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Uh, where's the best place? Anything specific you'd want them following up about? Um, I mean, any of the topics we discussed or anything data mesh, I'm happy to connect with like-minded professionals. So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, um, 
I'm sure you'll have my name somewhere, <laughs> Gala.Rishani. So I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect. Uh, I'd love to have more discussions uh, on the data mesh. <laughs> yeah, and we'll drop a link to that in the in the show notes as well so people can easily just click through. Well, thank you again so much, Rada, the, for <laughs> this. I, hopefully I didn't butcher it this time, but um, thank you so much for for your time here today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you to Scott. It was an enjoyable conversation. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Rada Rishani, Managing Director, Data Analytics and Technology Innovation at Bank of America. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.